Does God ever seem far away when you pray? Do you ever feel that when you pray, God's not listening to the words you say? Does it ever feel at times when you pray, it feels like you're saying the same thing over and over, and you're beginning to wonder, does God even care? Will God pull through? And you feel as though you are hitting your head against the wall in your prayer life. And you just feel at moments that you release your prayers and it falls flat. And you're wondering why you even pray anymore. Why do it? Today we're going to walk through, as we're closing off up our seventh week of prayer, knowing and experiencing God, with something that maybe perhaps this morning you don't walk away super encouraged at the first part of the message. At the tail end, Lord willing, we all will be. But perhaps your prayers are falling flat because you're sabotaging your own prayer life. You got to know this, and I, I love you too much not to bring this to you all. Please lean into this statement. How we live our lives affects how God hears our prayers. And you got to be a note taker if you're not this morning. You're going to want to take notes this morning. Turn to your neighbor and say, good morning. That was, that was a brain fart. Good morning. How you live your life every single day will affect if God's ear is attuned to your prayer life. I'm going to answer the question that maybe perhaps now you're beginning to think, how is that possible? How, how do I sabotage my prayer life? And in fact, God's word gives a very short catalog of ways you and I as disciples, as followers of Jesus, actually hinder and sabotage our prayer life. This morning, we're going to go through six of those. And then on the tail end, we're going to figure out, now what do we do with that? We would do prayer, no justice, if you, don't, and, you and I don't realize that there are ways we sabotage our prayer life. I don't want that for you. I know there's one, one entity on planet earth that wants that for you. And it's the enemy of your soul. Your heavenly father doesn't want this. Your savior, Jesus Christ. And God with you, the Holy Spirit doesn't want it. Your pastor doesn't want it. You're, we're, we're church family. We don't want it for each other. But we must become awakened to this awareness that we can sabotage our prayer life. So we're going to go through six principles, the short catalog that scripture has for us of how you and I actually sabotage our prayer life. Here's principle number one. We're just going to jump right into it. Number one is this. You live in unrepentant sin. That you actually live in unrepentant sin. Here's what the, the psalmist write in Psalm 66. It says this. If I had, what's this one word, friends? Cherished. Sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. 
If I had cherished, if sin dwelled within me, the Lord will not listen. I, what is this talking about? This is talking about followers, disciples of Jesus, who are willfully sinning and not repenting from that sin. Aren't you thankful that God is a God of grace, of forgiveness, of love, of mercy, of X number of chances, right? We are thankful for that. And God showers that when we come and confess our sins and have a true repentant heart. But God's not going to listen if he sits there and goes, there's no repentance here. There's nothing here. You keep doing what you're doing, asking for forgiveness, but not changing your mindset or the way you're living your life. And that's what it's talking about here. Repentance literally means a change in direction or a change in mindset. We can't be living holy lives and remaining in unrepentant sin. We are called to be holy. Why? Because God is holy. And God desires us to live a righteous, holy life because that's his will for us. But he's not going to attune his ear to those who are walking in the faith but living in unrepentant sin. Here's what Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah writes this. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But watch this. But your iniquities, your sin that you have, have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. In other words, God is a holy God and cannot be around sinfulness. That cannot be part of his nature. And he's saying, as I've given you my spirit, my Holy Spirit, to empower you, to fuel you to live this life, you got to get away from the ugliness of sin in this world. Or I'm not going to give you my ear. Here's what Peter writes in 1 Peter uh, chapter 3, verse 12. For eyes of the Lord are on the who, friends? Whoo! Hey, when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, listen, you are clothed righteous. You are in right relationship with God now. God does not see your failure. He does not see your sh the shame and guilt that you bring. When God looks at you, he sees Jesus Christ. Jesus has clothed you in righteousness. Whoo! That's good news this morning, friends. That's good news. And he says the eyes are on the righteousness. Yeah, you may look in the mirror and see your mistakes, see your failures, but God looks at you and says, I see my son Jesus, he's clothed you. He's clothed you. And his ears are attentive to, to their prayer. You want to turn God's ear, start living a righteous, holy life. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. You and I sabotage our prayer life when we live in unrepentant sin. This is one of the things that I love about, I love a lot of things about our church because I think you guys are awesome. I love that the fact that we have prayer teams ready every single, every single Sunday waiting for you to come down and be prayed over. Willing to serve you. Does it mean you got to come and confess and repent? No, that, that's not, everyone that comes down for prayer does not mean they're confessing their sins, Right? In all honesty, we all ought to be in these corners after the prayer service say, hey, pray for me. Because I got a target and the enemy of my soul doesn't want me to do this. 
and I need his power, and I just need a brother and sister in Christ to lift me up before the throne room of grace. I need someone. But it's an opportunity in case you do have to confess some things and say, man, I'm repenting. I just need the Lord's power in my life. And they're there ready to serve you at the end of every single service. So the first way you and I sabotage our prayer life is live in unrepentant sin. Here's the second way. You ignore God's word. Oh. You completely ignore God's word. There's just two, two things I want to talk about in this moment. The first is this. There was a long study that was done over a period of years looking at Christians, looking at followers of Jesus and their life. And are they living an empowered, transformed life? And they related it to spiritual disciplines. One being, how many times are they in God's word? The Bible, Scripture. And they threw out the end of the study. Their results came to this. Four times a week has significant impact on the life of a Christian if they're in God's word. Four times. We're not asking for seven, but four throughout their years and years of study. Now, I know for some of us who are like, I can't even crack my Bible open. <laughs> it's confusing. Can I, listen, I know there are parts of God's word that is confusing, right? I, I went to seminary. I have my master's degree in ministry. I understand even things for me as I look at God's word and I journal. I'm like, I'm, I'm a little confused by this or that, and that's okay, Write those thoughts down. Write the confusion. Pray over that. But can you give God five minutes in his word for four days a week? You can go two days on, go a day off, go a day on, a day off, a day on, and finish out your week. Can you do five minutes? Some of us, we need a little more time. Maybe for some of us, you're like, I've been doing 10 minutes for like 20 years. Maybe it's time to take it to the next level, and you're going to go 15, 20 minutes. We all have a starting place. Start somewhere cracking open the word of God. It's life-changing. And it will bring beauty. And it's okay if you're confused. Now, I need to say this too. Ryan, where do you start? I start in the gospel. Start at Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. You want to be a win? Go for a win. Start with the gospel of John. Why? Because it's 16 chapters. As soon as you get 16 chapters done, you're like, Woo, I can do this. Right? And then you can go on to something else. If you want deep theology, go to the Gospel of Luke. All right? Start, or I'm sorry, go to John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What? Right? That's the way John starts his Gospel about Jesus. And it's, you can sit and just dwell in that, questioning God, like, what does this mean, God? Right? It's in, oh, it's beautiful. Turn to your neighbor and say, get into God's Word. Here's the other thing we ignore God's Word. Listen to this. Do you know the voice of God? See, oftentimes we view prayer as, as you're communicating to God, but there's a significant aspect of prayer that you ought to be listening to his voice. That means at times you back down and say, God, speak, Lord, for your servant's listening. And you hear his voice. That we don't ignore God's word, that we listen and obey. We may not get and fully understand with our, with our finite minds everything of God. But we are called to walk in obedience even if we don't fully understand. God's word, the Bible, scripture is the foundation of our lives. And we don't get to decide truth. God decides truth. And we may wrestle. 
healthy wrestling. God, I just uh, uh, wrestle it with God. But what, eventually what we are called is to live a life surrendered to his word and start obeying it. You want to hinder your life, ignore God's word. Here's what the, the uh, writer of Proverbs, I'm going to show you three different translations talking about ignoring God's instruction. But I want to highlight one word. It's Proverbs 28.9. If anyone turns a deaf ear to my instruction, this is God speaking, even their prayers are detestable. Look at what the ESV says. If anyone turns away his heart from hearing the law, which was in reference to God's instruction, the, the Bible, if you will, even his prayers is an abomination. Uh, look at what the Passion Translation says. If you close your heart and refuse to listen to God's instruction, even your prayer will be despised. Oh. Do you see the importance of understanding and obeying God's word, even if we don't get it? I love what Greg Morse says this uh, from DesiringGod.org. He says this, dusty Bibles stir God's allergies to our prayers. <laughs> like some of you may get nothing else out of this message. You just want to take that picture right there. That is a great quote. I also, there's another quote about if Christians actually got out their Bibles, we would create the largest dust storm in the history of the world. You know, we laugh. You know why we laugh? Because it's slightly awkwardly true. That's why we have humor in it. Parents, grandparents, I think one of the greatest gifts you can leave the generation is a worn out Bible for them. I think it's one of the greatest gifts and a legacy you can give your children or your grandchildren is one day when you and I pass away, they would deeply desire to get and be like, I want their Bible. Because my mom, my dad, my grandma, my grandpa, they were a person who got into God's word. I want to read their notes. I want to see what the Lord was doing in their life. You want to hinder your prayer? Ignore God's word. Here's number three. And there's six. Pray like an adulteress. Who? Ah, you know, the half-brother of Jesus, James, wrote a letter that you and I have in the New Testament. And James talks about this. This is the half-brother of Jesus. Get this. This is what James says. You ask and don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Ouch. In other words, you are desiring you and not seeking after God's desires. You desire the things of your heart first before God's heart. And he says, no, you're in an unhealthy, adulterous relationship with God. If you are a Christ follower, if you are a disciple of Jesus, you seek him first and nothing else. The Passion Translation, I love what the Passion Translation says. And if you ask, you won't receive it, for you're asking with corrupt motives. That's our flesh that's been marred by the world, by sin. You're asking with corrupt motives, seeking only to fulfill your own selfish desires. You have become, you have become spiritual adulterers who are having an affair an unholy relationship with the world. Wow. Does the scripture mean nothing to you? 
that says the spirit that God breathed into our hearts, the Holy Spirit, is a jealous lover who intensely desires to have more and more of us. And that's the loving Heavenly Father you and I serve. He wants all of us. He is a jealous lover that says, no, 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 no. Don't love that and love me. you got to fully love me. It's, this is why Jesus says, if you really want to be my disciple, you know what Jesus says? And this is what some of the crowds left. He says, die to yourself. Pick up your cross, the instrument of death and crucifixion, then come follow me. Whew. Tim Keller wrote a book, a beautiful book on prayer. It says, prayer, experiencing awe and intimacy with God. And this is his quote. If we are living lives in which God does not have our highest allegiance, then we will use prayer instrumentally, selfishly, simply to get the things that may already ruining, may be already ruining our lives. We wouldn't know that because our heart's not after the things of God. It's after the things, maybe perhaps it's after the things of the flesh that are ruining our lives. Instead of getting on our knees saying, God, it's only you and only you. So friends, as we tune our hearts to the things above, our prayer life becomes more fruitful. And you got to live in a posture and a heart that says, God, you first. For Jesus taught that principle in Matthew chapter 6. It says, but seek what, friends? Seek one more time, seek what? First. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Seek first. Seek first. We need to always be God first. God first in the relationships that you and I are in so we can live a holy, righteous life. It's God first that you and I are God first in our finances. God, this isn't mine, it's yours that you have blessed me with, it's God first. God first in our jobs. God, I'm here, my primary purpose is what? Not to just fulfill this job, it's to be a disciple maker, right in this job. So God, it's you first. Yes, I may have to be a person that sells this or pushes this button or teaches kids or gives someone a shot, whatever it is, but God, first, I come to work with my eyes saying, God, you first, you first. And in our neighborhoods, it's God first. What does that look like? That you're not just moving to a place that you desire, but it's a place that God wants you to be at. It's God first. You want to sabotage your prayer life, pray like an adulteress. Here's the fourth one. Ladies, if you're married in the room, take this one off. This one does not apply to you. Married men, tune your ear in. Ladies, please don't elbow your husband on this one. Just, and don't say amen. But married men, I need you. You want to sabotage your life, your prayer life, mistreat your wife. Ouch. Look at what Peter says about this. I remember exactly where I was this summer when I read this passage. I was in Tennessee with you, Chris Kidd, and you, Pastor Brandon. And I read that, and it just God, brought me back into the chair. I said, wow. Here's what Peter says. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor. To the woman 
as the weaker vessel. Now, let's not, weaker vessel, literally, we're talking physical. We know just men have more muscle mass than women. It's a physiology. I don't even know if I said that word right. It's a physical thing, right? Listen, God has anointed women. That's your one amen shot, women. He's anointed you. Uh, look at Deborah in the Old Testament. She rose up as the nation of Israel to be a judge. You look in the New Testament, there's women all over the place that were leading, leading house churches. You have a, a couple that's introduced first as Aquila and Priscilla. The first time they're introduced, man first, woman second. Do you know the rest of the time they're introduced, who comes first? Priscilla, the wife. Come on, there is an anointing on women. God doesn't just use one sex. He uses all of us. He created us. We're all in his image. You have the anointing. And so watch this. It says, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. So you are, men, you're understanding. You're giving them an understanding way, showing honor, so that your prayers may not be hindered. You mistreat your wife, you will sabotage your prayer life. Now think of this, men. I think we got to have a little shift of perspective here. They're not just our wives. They are a daughter of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. They are a daughter. Maybe perhaps we don't just look at our wife thinking, that's my wife. But we look at her with a new lens and say, but that's also a daughter of my Heavenly Father. You mistreat my daughter I will throat punch you in Jesus' name. I just will. See, there's truth. Men, you know it. You know it. This is why men joke when we, Lord willing, we would not do this. We'd be led more by the Spirit. But we joke when our daughters date, they're going to hear the, right, when they come to the door. We joke. Why? We protect our daughters. Why would anyone want to listen to someone who mistreats a daughter? God's saying, don't do it. Men, don't mistreat my daughter, your wife. I'm gonna, it's going to hinder your prayer life. You'll sabotage it. And we've said this every single week, that God has chosen to make prayer the path to his presence, his power, and his purpose. Men, we need that. Your family needs you to need that. And we can't mishonor and mistreat our wives, or it will sabotage our prayer life. Two more. Number five. Harbor doubt. You harbor what, friends? Doubt. That in your prayer life, you are praying, but deep inside, you actually got a little hint of doubt. Will God really answer this? I love what James says. Back to James. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. Why doesn't he find fault in you? Because of Christ Jesus, the blood has covered you. You are walking in righteousness now. Remember, he sees Jesus in you. So he doesn't find fault. Those mistakes, listen, your mistakes are forgiven. Those mistakes that you keep beating yourself up, please hear this. That's the lie from the devil and from the pits of hell. We need to start walking in truth. Yeah, you may have done that, but there is freedom and power in Jesus' name. And even though you remember, God's sitting there going, what are you talking about? You're my child. I see Jesus. That's the heavenly father. This is awesome. And it will be given to you. Listen, if you need wisdom, what, what does James say? Just ask. Just ask. Your heavenly father is good. He'll give generously. But when you ask, you must, what's this one word? Believe. Must believe. And not doubt. 
Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Wow, just a little doubt. And I'm going to say, did you know faith is actually listed as part of the spiritual gifts? Every morning, probably for the last year, I've been praying, God, give me the spiritual gift of faith. I want more faith. I was just talking to someone in my office in between our two services, and that person says, man, that one point really hit home for me. It's like, why? Lean in in this moment. Why? And he says, because Jesus says, if I had faith the size of a mustard seed, that little thing, I can move, that, that God will use that and move mountains. It's like, wow, but how many times do I let doubt just get, open the door a little bit? And we go to God in prayer, but honestly, our hearts are mumbling, will God really do this? We go to God in prayer, and the eyes of our heart are rolling. I don't know. I'm going to pray it, but I don't know. May we have increased faith, friends. Amen? May we have increased faith. Here's the last one. You're trying to love both the Father and the world. You'll sabotage your prayer life every single time. When you try to love God and you love everything the world has to offer. And Jesus warns. That's called lukewarm. And I'll spit you out of my mouth when you do that. Because I don't have all of you. And 1 John reads this way. <laughs> don't love the world's ways. Don't love the world's goods. Love of the world squeezes out the love for the Father. In other words, you don't have any more room to even love God because you're loving everything else. Practically everything that goes on in the world. Wanting your own way. Wanting everything for yourself. Wanting to appear important has nothing to do with the Father. It just isolates you from him. The world and all its wanting, wanting, wanting is on the way out. But whoever does what God wants is set for eternity. God wants all of you. It's a full surrender. The world has a lot to offer that will never satisfy you because you have a God-sized hole in your heart because you're created in the image of God that only he can fill. And that's why people who are spiritually dry and lost are looking for things to fill that void and they turn to the world because they don't know their God yet. But you do. And Ryan, you're like, geez, she's just smacked me in the face this morning. Okay, Ryan, help me because information's good, but information without transformation is meaningless. My prayer was that out of these six, maybe something would resonate. You're like, yeah, that's it. I need to work on that. And that we're going in prayer now, asking Holy Spirit to maneuver and mold and shape those things. So as I was wrestling this week, just asking God, what, where do we land this? How do we fight these things that sabotage our prayer life? It was three words. Abide in Jesus. You abide in Jesus. This word abide here literally means 
to stay, to remain, to dwell. That you and I, if we're ever going to stop sabotaging our own prayer life, every day we need to abide in Jesus. Every day you and I need to stay in Jesus. Every day we need to remain in Jesus. Every day you and I must dwell in Jesus. We don't just do this one day a week and call it Sunday morning. It's every day. In fact, some of the most powerful words of Jesus was spoken, spoken at the Last Supper, the night he's going to be betrayed by a disciple named Judas. If Jesus knows what lies ahead, and he's in this upper room with these 12 disciples that he's done life with for the last three years together. And in that moment, he's going to teach them one final thing before he dies. And here are the words recorded through the Gospel of John. Jesus says this, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, so you must dwell and remain in me. And when you dwell and remain in me, my life-giving words are going to dwell and remain in you. And then you can ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. But this is my by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have I loved you. Abide, dwell, remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. <laughs> we got to abide in Jesus, friends. Every day. Because this is what's beautiful, what Jesus just taught his disciples. When we abide in Jesus, the person, the second person of the in the Trinity, when you and I dwell and remain in Jesus, Jesus says, listen, my words begin to abide in you. Life-giving transformation words abide in you. It dwells within. And when you and I begin to dwell within and increase our knowledge of who our God is, increase your knowledge of your risen Savior, Jesus Christ, listen, your love for Jesus increases. You will come to him knowing a greater level of gratitude. You'll know how and when and why to pray. Why? Because you're remaining in Jesus, your Savior. His words now are remaining in you. And you're realizing that the cross he went to should have been your cross. And you'll have a deeper love and appreciation for your heavenly father. And when you begin to love Jesus more and more, it will drive you to repentance. Because it will drive you to your knees to saying, you know what? This is so of nasty. I don't even, I don't, there's no hunger for this anymore. I hunger for more of God because I know his love. I know his grace. I know where he's taken me. That his ways are higher. His ways are better. He will thirst. He will fulfill my thirst. He's the living bread. And I will gladly go to him. Not the things of the world anymore. And you and I, you and I won't sabotage our prayer life anymore. And your loving, your loving heavenly father is sitting there going, I can't wait to hear from my children. I can't.
can't wait to hear from my daughter. I can't wait to hear from my son. And as the psalmist wrote, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Take delight in me. But if you and I are ever going to take delight, we got to know who he is. And it starts by abiding in Jesus every day. Our prayer team is going to go down to the corners right now. So prayer team, I'm inviting you down. Seven weeks of prayer, we could have spent an entire year on prayer. But maybe something inside of us is resonating. Maybe there's something deep within that's sitting there going, God, Ryan, I just need some type of revival. I've allowed the coals to get a little cold. I used to have the passion. I used to want to talk to God. But the fire is barely there. I want to pray a prayer of revival over you. I want to pray that you would feel, know, and experience the anointing and power of Holy Spirit in your life. I want to pray that if anything is dead spiritually, that it would come back to life. And that the enemy of, the, of your soul will not have his way anymore. Because prayer is the path to God's presence, his power, and his purpose. And there is only one person that doesn't want you to have it. And we have power and authority over him because of Jesus Christ. So if you bow your head, I want to pray a blessing over you. Jesus, we stand and sit and meditate on your word in absolute awe of you, Jesus. The cross should have been ours. That's how much you loved us. And God, because three days later you defeated sin and death, we now have new life. That the spirit the presence of God, when the veil in the temple was torn, it went everywhere. It no longer had a location in Jerusalem. It's all over the world in us now. So Heavenly Father, everyone in this room and watching online, for those that are walking faithfully with you, would your power and anointing be over them? May they absolutely receive your power and authority that we have in the name of Jesus. God, if there's embers that are just flickering, may they come to life now, Holy Spirit. May it burn brighter and brighter. May it burn hotter and hotter than ever before, God. And would you surround us with your protection, knowing the enemy of our soul does not want anything like this to happen. The enemy of our soul wants to squash our prayer life and continue to sabotage it. So Heavenly Father, we know you love us and you desire to hear from us. May we not be a church that prays. May we be a church that always prays. That we are constantly going to the throne room of God knowing that you are for us. You are for us. And you've given us the power. 
So Holy Spirit, awaken within us. Awaken our families, awaken our city, and awaken our schools for more of you. And we pray this in the matchless name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen, Amen, church family. Let's give it to God. Come on, church. He's a good God. He's a good God. Hey, will you please, the rest of us, let's please stand. About a week ago, we did a new song at our seven nights of prayer called God of Revival. And the team's going to lead us in that. May we worship through this song. May it be your prayer, a deep prayer. God, revive things. I'm ready to come alive, more of you. And we're praying that God will awaken our cities, our nation, in your life and in our homes and in this church and all the other churches that his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So let's worship.